0: It's time to level up your learning experience. It's time to level up. Welcome to the Level Up Learning Show.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Level Up Learning Show. My name is Jared Borman. I'm an instructional designer for AEA Learning Online. And I have a brand new guest co-host, Deborah Cleveland. Deb, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. It's uh, it's March.
1: It is March. This school year, well, year, I guess, depending on, I guess me, I always operate on a school year calendar. I don't know about you. That's just how my brain functions. I don't really go by January to December, but that's yeah. just me.
0: I think that's a telltale sign of the years we've been either students of this um, in education or educators ourselves
1: or even you know having kids in education now that's kind of how i think of things too like march okay like next week for us is parent-teacher conferences so those sort of mental breaks in the the span of the school year is kind of where i land in but next week for you you guys don't have parent-teacher conferences you guys are on spring break right
0: yes we are uh heading out on a family trip versus a vacation uh where uh vacations usually our mom and dad go somewhere family trips are uh we all go somewhere so we're very excited but uh it's definitely a family trip not a vacation Always, so you're road tripping we are we're gonna spend oh. some quality time together in the old cleveland mobile heading out to colorado and uh yeah kids so will describe, be.
1: Uh, describe to me what a road trip with with the family is like for you guys because I know what it's like for us, but I just want to get your, see if your family is the same, if I go through the same things as you guys.
0: Well, it's a lot of snacks. It's a lot of snacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. do a lot. I have it. We uh, do a lot of, um, we do audiobooks books uh, for a portion of time. So that has been a real win in our family. The kids like it. So we're listening to one called Space Case. Um,
1: Wait, you played on the, the, like everybody's listening to it.
0: Yes. Yes. Everybody's listening to it, much to the chagrin of uh, my husband sometimes. But this new book, Space Case, is pretty good, even he likes it. And then, um, then after that, they get some iPad time, and then we usually have to stop for something, and we repeat that until we get to where we're going. So we've got a pretty good routine. We got a couple games we play. Got a couple games. Uh, Kids like to identify car colors on the road and name them fruit. So sometimes we'll see things like a blueberry or a grape if it's a purple car. So so we have little kids, so, uh, you know, they still play that. It'll break my heart when they stop playing those games, but uh, so it'll be a good time, and then we'll get there and maybe listen to a little level-up learning here as we go. Uh, When they're uh, doing their own quiet time, mom will have her own break, and, yeah, should be good. Yourself?
1: Uh, We don't technically have, like, a big spring break or anything, so we just kind of get an extra, like, next week with parent-teacher conferences. Friday's no school, which kind of gives you a three-day weekend that sort of a thing and uh, an extra day off to around the Easter weekend time. So that's about all it really is. It's nothing like a major, uh, full week break, which we just finished. I, I coach youth sports. So the wrestling season just got done. So I would absolutely love a full week off to just recoup a little bit. Um, but yeah, no week off for us. Just some parent-teacher conferences, which are always good conversations to have with the teachers.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll get a little bit of a break in there from your coaching and everything before you start the engine up for the next one.
1: So you got, so show and tell. Uh, for show and tell, you brought one, right? I
0: did. I did. So I am a big Harry Potter fan Uh read a lot of the books, and I saw this and it caught my eye because it combines something that I loved to read as I was growing up and also something new that I keep seeing on my screen all the time. And if those of you who've read the books or if you're not familiar, this is Harry Potter and he's writing in a journal that was written by Tom Riddle, who's a character in the Harry Potter series, and it's a diary. And so he's writing in there and in the movie or the books, Harry Potter writes in there and then Tom Riddle, this other character, responds back but the more you write to Tom and tell Tom things, the more he's able to sort of take control of sort of your thoughts and use some of his powers. Tom's not necessarily a good guy in the series. So, so yeah, that's just a little bit about uh, that. But it caught my eye because like I said, it's sort of one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I love Harry Potter. And now it's got this other connection to this thing that keeps popping up everywhere.
1: Yeah. No kidding. chat uh, chat GPT, but that's, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, I don't, obviously chat GPT and maybe i it seems like AI things were not mainstream when the Harry Potter books were written. So therefore there's that kind of, I don't want to say it's foreshadowing, but you kind of see where some of that can kind of play out a little bit, but yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, so I I'm going to be I'm going to admit I'm going to say something that I could uh people could be commenting on and sort of rake me under the coals when when in the messages here but uh I never read the Harry Potter series.
0: Oh my goodness. That's okay. It's okay. There's still time.
1: I I didn't even see the movies.
0: Yeah. I yeah, feel I-
1: like I I feel like, you know, as an English teacher, former English teacher, I felt I d- I literally had all kinds of conversations with the kids about the books. Because when I was teaching middle school English, it was The Rage. Yeah. That and Twilight.
0: Oh, yeah. Twilight. I will say I uh, have read all of that. I don't know, good or bad. But I have read The Twilight and I've also read the Mockingjay series. So I'm kind of right there on that. Those yeah, I was a little so- older for. I was a little older than uh, actually when I was coming out catching the tail end of Harry Potter when I was still in school. But uh, yeah, no, they're great. I mean, I think they stand the test of time, my kids are picking them up and reading them and stuff like that. So uh, it's great to see another generation going in. But I do think you're right. It's like some of the stuff that was written and, or when that book was originally written and things were going on, it was uh, the stuff we're talking about was probably in process and evolving, but the rate in which it was evolving uh was much slower and a lot of the stuff we're experiencing today was kind of science fiction still
1: yeah no kidding that's that's really interesting especially like I don't know Ray Ray Bradbury um Fahrenheit 451 you know a lot of the stuff that was in that book that was kind of like seeing futuristic things and seeing where they're going and a lot of the things that were mentioned in that book you can point to something now that it's kind of like it but this idea of AI and chat GPT, boy, has it taken off like wildfire, huh?
0: Oh my gosh. So um I was it was it was launched live in a big way in November. And that's that's what's really caught my attention is not just that it's appearing on my headlines, but when I do take a peek and look at some of them, just the rate of adoption uh that it's it's hitting with people, um, over hundred million active users monthly and grow. It's just crazy. Um, I think One of the things i was reading about was talking about this idea that in the history of humans no technology has been adopted as quickly as uh some of this uh, chat gpt and ai stuff that's coming on and it's just it's amazing like to think that nothing ever in the history of humans has this happened it's exciting times i think it's it's that's what I think. It's fascinating to see these things that we've kind of been thinking about and have been told in stories um, coming to fruition and looking at the world through a new lens. So I think it's great and timely that we're having this conversation.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And speaking of which, in order to to talk more about it, we wanted to bring in someone that we think um, probably, I mean, he's he's been meddling in it probably since November, but even before that, he's just a really big Uh, He goes by Coffee Chug. He's a, he labels himself a total nerd and gets into all that. He's a really big STEM guy, but basically, you know, you want to introduce our special guest and and why we even brought him on.
0: Yeah. Aaron Maurer um, is a consultant over in Mississippi Bend, but him and I've known each other for quite a few years. Paths cross, not as frequently as we may like, but um, we have that opportunity to work with each other. And collaborate on some different projects here. And one of the things that I know he's really passionate. And so when we were talking about uh, this, uh, he was the obvious choice. Um, just the idea of how passionate he's about authentic learning, and then how he's able to connect that to all these different things that are happening in sort of the education ecosystem in the here and now, and even outside of that. And so just knowing that, um, I thought, wow, let's let's ta- let's tap into his um, experiences and thoughts and get some of his insights to sort of introduce uh, sort of this new world to us. And, you know, everybody's at a different point in their understanding with this, but I think he does, has that background where he can kind of make it um, very accessible and interesting and also just very timely and relevant to what we're doing. uh, And then making it, of course, all about kids. So he does it. Absolutely. So we're excited to have him on today.
1: Yeah, so let's take a listen to that interview and then when we're all done, uh, you and I will come back and we'll do a little reflection, how's that work?
0: It's time to level up.
1: And so, with that, authentic learning um, becomes the conversation of tools that can amplify that. And one tool that has become very popular very quickly is Chat GPT. And I think the idea that AI. Um, I know that artificial intelligence, we've seen the movies, we've seen Terminator, where all of that can sort of feel like it's leading to gloom and doom, um, has really created some massive waves in education for uh, teachers, students. Some say it's positive, some say it's negative. I think uh, why could you, if if there's anybody watching in education that is just hearing about chat GPT or maybe they heard from the teacher in the teacher's lounge or something like that. Could you sort of describe for the layman person what is chat GPT and how does it exactly work?
2: Yeah I mean I think it's where you can't scroll anywhere right now without seeing chat GPT or AI in your feeds in some shape or form whether you read the headlines, click the articles or whatever your interaction might be. The reality is that the the disruptions here. Um, And so we need to be proactive in these conversations when we think about tools such as ChatGPT. So to put that out there, I think, in the forefront. The other thing I think is important for people to realize is like ChatGPT is one of literally thousands of tools that are out there. It is the one that obviously is drawing all the attention um, because of the potential possibilities, both positive and negative and those in between. But it's been around. And basically, ChatGPT, in a nutshell, in the simplest forms, is it's there's millions upon billions of, of data sets that are collected. And ChatGPT is a chatbot. Um, so you can think of your old Microsoft golden days of Clippy or anything that was a chatbot in that shape or form that basically takes all this data that most of us have no idea how to even maybe even access, utilize, or make sense of. And it basically, I'm going to call it an app. It's not directly an app. You just can go to the web browser. But for the sake of visualizations, sits on this large collections of data sets and models and and information. It allows us to have a conversation with the data. Um, And therefore, it kind of makes it, I don't want to say it's idiot-proof, but you very easily can go right in and start talking to it in your regular language, and it will attempt to parse words together to give you an answer. Now it's not always accurate, but in a nutshell, it allows us to figure out how to have conversations with data that we maybe don't even know exist or even what to do with, or even like how to handle data. And that's not the best definition, but in the simplest sense, um, that tends to make sense for people just starting to scratch the surface.
1: Hey Aaron, you sold me an idiot proof man. Like I I need a lot of that in my life. (laughs) Don't
2: we all? Don't we all?
1: Yeah. No kid.
0: I like how it's conversational because there's an element of that, right? In this, how it responds and to your inquiries and questions, it's more conversational at times, or it can be.
2: It very much is. So I think as we as we mean, there's just so much to unpack. Um, when we start to think about these tools, but it is conversational. It is not like Google, for example, and I'm not here to say it's better than a Google search. I'm just comparing here where typically when we go into a search engine, whether that's Google or maybe you were using Bing prior to ChatGPT, I think there's way more people using it now that it's embedded or whatever your your go-to browser is, we we search for one thing and we get a whole collection of information that comes from the web and then we can click and go from there. These tools, such as ChatGPT, is conversation. I can have it take on the role of a character i can have it take on the role of a type of job occupant and then i can then ask it questions and i can continue to ask questions to refine the information to rework the information to do whatever it is that i'm asking it to do um and it is an ongoing conversation hence chatbot and i don't mean that to like insult people but i think in our brains so often people start to use it they they type in one thing they're like well that's not very good well, you know, what you know, we can get into like prompt engineering, we can get into those types of things, but you can continue to talk and evolve and and, and it will it will pull whatever the previous conversations or prompts that you've put in, it'll continue to refine based on that and then pull from the different data. Um, I would say a couple of things that are important I think to also clarify with ChatGPT at the time of this recording is is one It's not necessarily like scrubbing the internet like a a internet search browser. Um, The data stops at 2021. So anything within the last two years, it doesn't have access to. However, that's not going to stop it from acting like it knows the answer. It will not tell you, I don't know. It will, the way it pulls words to make it feel like a human or an interaction, it will create stuff. And so I think we get into this really awesome opportunity to rethink how we've taught digital and media skills as we have these tools that are are not going away and um i'm sure we'll have some follow-up questions with there but i think it's an opportunity to rethink how we've done some stuff
1: it's kind of like uh talking with one of my relatives at thanksgiving when uh you know they can't admit that they don't know something and then we just keep going on and on and on until we both are like i don't think we both either one of us know what we're talking about we just keep making stuff up
2: It, it definitely it definitely could be that way. And it could also be highly effective too. So I don't want to give the impression that it's not. I mean,'ve I've been dabbling with it quite a bit on a daily basis. Um, and it does some incredible stuff. I think it goes back to uh, being old, I, just a computer science stem nerd. Um, the old phrase from a long time ago, you know, garbage in garbage out. If you put in garbage props, you're going to get garbage results. And so if we learn how to have the conversation design, uh, which is you know, the, the ideas of how do we communicate with machines? How do we communicate with tech devices? And we know how to do that. We can refine and really get quality results. And these things are only going to get better over time. I mean, we're, we're, it's, these tools are babies. I mean, AI has been around for a long time, but tools such as GPT, ChatGPT, they're, they're, they're evolving at such a rapid rate and they're only going to improve based on all the feedback they're getting. It's never going to be perfect. We still got to be cautious. Uh, but we also need to be optimistic and learn how to play um, within these realms versus always thinking out of fear, which so often we do in education.
0: One thing you said reminded me of back when I started using search engines, and I was, you know, you'd search something and you didn't get the response, and then you'd go back and type in something new and find a different word or rephrase, and eventually, hopefully, you got to what you wanted um, and found the list of things that were was relevant to your search. Initially, it sounds like this is something where we can you Know, have that conversation so it's not as much effort to find that right um, keyword search now. And Chat GPT is going to help with that and help us find, yeah. Those... I
2: mean, a lot of these tools, yeah, whether it's Chat GPT or you think about Microsoft's Bing uh, that has Chat GPT layered into it, it, it allows us to expedite, um, you know, the, the, the like I would call it like the low level hanging fruit. How do we get? the necessities to be able to get into the deeper thinking and the, and the complexities not just in the classroom even productivity line uh i mean i, I want to figure out how i want to do a presentation on how to teach chat gpt to a group of reluctant educators right i can plug that in and it'll it'll crank me on an outline will it be perfect no but it'll give me the structure that allows me then to go back and and put in the human element that we know is needed for humans but I don't have to spend hours going, hmm, what should it, the outline look like? Like, it'll crank it out. Uh, there's stuff there that'll do that. And then how to now move into the deeper things, understanding the pulse of the audience, whether that's a, a group of classroom of students, whether it's a class of educators, whether I'm doing a presentation for a board. Um, how do I expedite some of the like the the, the lower level tasks uh, to get to those deeper things that humans can do that machines can't?
0: Creating efficiency is what I'm hearing in some ways, possibly at least.
2: Yeah, I think definitely creating efficiency is huge, but then I also like to, to push on that too and make sure that when we think about efficiency, it's not how do we continue to move faster in the way that we've always done things, but how do we start to rethink the pedagogical practices that we have? And let's not just take some of these tools that are continuing to improve and be better and, mm-hmm. and try to cram it into the system that um, has flaws. The conversations right now—the fear of cheating and plagiarism, and maybe the fact that a machine can can do your essay in ten seconds—is not an AI issue. It is a classroom process. It is a a, a district. It is a, and I'm not pointing finger at teachers. What this really is at is a bigger education system. What are we doing? How? What are the conversations in the classroom? Are we looking at the drafts? How do we use these tools to? Do the DOK level one work so that we can get kids thinking at much deeper levels with the work that we're doing instead of spending so much time on the lower level stuff. Um, how do we how do we leverage this to rethink our operations? And this is not just happening in education. This is this is industry. This is happening everywhere. And this is a time for education to to start to think about it proactively versus being reactive like we are so many times. Um, I think when it comes to technology, the, the question I heard the other day was, you know, how is it that technology hasn't really disrupted education? <laughs> like technology has disrupted so many industries, and yet here we are still doing a lot of the same tried and true stuff. Um, you know, how do we how do how do we play with this and and do it carefully and and cautiously, but at the same time, not just throwing up the walls to hold on to what we've always done.
0: I like the idea of shifting the cognitive load from the low-hanging fruit I think you mentioned to really things that matter and can really um, make a difference there is something that kind of is exciting too.
1: So I think i like to add to that is, um, you know, I think when, I, I mean, I was during the generation where I remember in sixth grade sitting down and accessing the internet for the first time. And so that was like a big disruption because now it's like, asking kids to master the levels of recall and to get that information and store it there and recall it back on a test is now no longer a necessity because we've developed to the point where now we have digital assistants where we just literally ask a question to the device and we can get a response back, whether that's, I won't say, but it's made by Amazon because I have one nearby and I will activate it if I say its <laughs> name. But like those devices or Siri or anything like that, to, you know, teachers that are now like that, that, that was very, I don't want to say it, it created some stress for teachers because, um, it, my, as you said, gets to, uh, you know, they've, they've learned to get kids to master those levels for so long. And now we have to think differently. Well, I think the the same kind of fear is happening though, with chat GPT, because one of the, as an English teacher, at least one of the things that I've always been able to rely on is I need a student to clearly communicate through writing or speaking or something like that in order to prove or in order for me to see their thinking, to prove their they've met the standard. And that's what we're ultimately being held accountable for and education is teaching the standards. And so now that we have something that is hard to detect, although I think I just saw a, uh, a TikTok that turn it in, that service, turn it in has now put something in place in their system of some kind where now it can detect the use of chat GPT up to like 70% accuracy or something like that. So you just said like it, the immediate response by something like turn it in was, okay, let's figure out how to detect this. Whereas what you might be saying is, or can we use it in a way that prompts thinking for higher evaluating of thoughts and ideas or to help generate thoughts and ideas to then take it even further
2: yeah and i know and i know not everybody likes sometimes what i call some of these things out but i let mean let's just look at it right so turn in has this new detection tool which is actually not as accurate as what they say any of the detection tools um, are not as accurate as what they're claiming will they get better absolutely but then you can also you reference tiktok so then there's already a college response to Turnitin, and it's an app called Quill. And so you take your ChatGPT, you put it in Quill, it rewrites the words to make it not look like a ChatGPT, yes. and it passes, it works. So the, 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 the pushback that I would have for people, while, while yes, those are valid concerns, I think those are, are good initial feelings, is, is one, have you used the tools? How, do, do you have a, a foundation for how they work? You don't have to be an expert, but have you explored how they operate? Number two, if we put the amount of time in that we have spent talking and worrying about cheating and plagiarism and the history of education, we would be so far beyond that if we would apply that to the the timeless pedagogical practices. This is not new, they're not new ideas um, that exist. Um, And this requires leadership. It requires working through it to, to build space and capacity for understanding. To learn how to use these, if we're going to use these tools, for example, the the very first thing you need to teach teach students and adults. As I'm working with adults, is you have to assume that everything these tools provide is wrong, because oftentimes there are there is misinformation, um, especially if we're not as good at, in the prompts when we're starting out. So then you have to go through and validate those things and even know that the information is accurate. Now we're building a skill skill set. Now there are standards, right? Cite your sources. Now we're getting kids to cross-reference and check and we're looking at different types of things. Yes, it, could, it, it can spew out the stuff instantly, but what are we going to do with that? I mean, if you haven't tried to provide ChatGPT, for example, hyperlinks, half the hyperlinks are not even real hyperlinks because it actually can't do that. But like, if we go by that, so then how do we work then? This is where I'm coming back to these digital skills and these media skills where kids still in this day don't even really know how to do a proper Google search and Google has been around forever. And we don't even know how to do like basic things. We still plug in really long-winded questions. What are we doing with these tools here? Then how do we have it like compare the information and make sure that it pulls say like from Google Scholar or pull from very specific subset of data? Are we teaching kids the skills to be able to utilize these things to do the work that we've been asking. And I know that's a lot to process and take in, but like my fear is like every day there's a new thing about cheating or plagiarize or turn it in. And look, those companies got to make money. They need their people. So they're going to, they're going to advocate. And I'm not knocking any of them, but the bigger conversation is how do we start to play and teach with these tools versus against. And I'm not, and that doesn't even mean that we're promoting it and saying, yay let's bring it into the classroom but being aware of it to figure out how do we get to what really matters which is the process and the learning journey and having kids advocate and you know these ideas of portfolios where they defend their work and they do that type of stuff if they use chad gpt or other tools to pull some of their information they still got to defend it they still got to know their stuff and if they want to use these tools i could go on like they got to have basic foundations if they don't know how to search and skip and and, and read and interpret and figure that stuff out Then that's a sign that they don't have the the literacy foundations to be able to use these tools effectively which now we've got a bigger equity problem in terms of how are we helping the next generation be equipped to use these productively because it's not going away
0: Aaron one of the things you just made me smile is used to go play and I'm like I think back to those people who are just hearing the headlines I think I need to go back and play some more on this and not, you know, it is here, it is here to stay. And I'm like, okay, I just need to go and play some more. So if people are watching this and kind of like, oh, what do I do? And I'm still hearing all this stuff. It sounds like one thing we can do to help, you know, get us going and down the right path is just go play with it. What, You know, and that will help you start to see um, the opportunity and possibly, you know, focus on the right stuff and what's happening, not necessarily on what the what ifs and how are we going to catch or watch for plagiarism and things. And that idea of just go play with it and take some time uh, to do that.
1: Well, as I say, now that we've kind of talked about, you know, like maybe some of the things to be aware of when it comes to chat, chat GPT, let's play the other side of it now. So let's say I'm a teacher who is super hesitant about this whole concept of AI in the classroom or any of these tools let's let's throw some ideas out there to that group of how could this potentially be used in a very impactful way at in any classroom and specifics because when you say chat GPT and you're talking about the media skills I immediately as an English teacher say oh that that's for computer science class or something like that that doesn't necessarily for us but let's just have a hodgepodge uh, throw some ideas out what are the potential uses for this that we really feel could be significantly beneficial for any classroom.
2: Yeah, so a couple things. One, I think um, you know, even at the time of where we're recording this, stuff changes rapidly. So, if we just stick with ChatGPT, for example, 2 weeks ago, <clears throat> the terms of service you had to be 18 years of age or older to use. And so that right there automatically was a valid reason for districts to to block the tool because f- it's not compliant with child privacy and data, right? So there was valid things to hit a pause button on that within that A week ago, this recording, that's age is now down to 13. So things are constantly changing. And so I know that's not going to directly help the teacher scratching their head on trying to figure things out. But I'm putting this out there that when this goes live, it could change and it could be for all kids. And so I think one of the first things is, you know, it's a good reminder overall to check the tools and the apps and the things that we're using already that we feel comfortable with when's the last time we've looked at that in terms of conditions and what it does with the data and the things behind that? Um, because you've seen a lot of conversation of the worries with that, but you know, do you even know where the data is going with what you're already using? And so I think there's some, some conversation that way. And Now that, that was kind of a sidebar, but I think it's something too to be important as this, this landscape is changing so fast. Number two Again, ChatGPT sits on top of a set of data. And so if you are Microsoft and if you do school and you have Bing and you're using that stuff, now that uses ChatGPT underneath the hood. And what Bing does, it actually cites the sources. And so you can start to quickly gather a very nice, robust collection. It'll put it in charts and tables. Uh, just the other day, we were trying to figure out ways we're doing a, um, a project on how to reduce food waste in a, in a cafeteria classroom. And it cranked out, I had it crank out a, a table of, from the teacher. Like I wanted kids to see all different ways. And so it created the title. It created then obviously the resource link. I then asked it to create a column that would give questions that kids would have to answer based on the content of the article and a list of the materials and costs. And it puts it all on a chart. I copy, I paste it into Excel spreadsheet. Obviously I'm looking to make sure that it's you know, proper for the fourth graders, but versus me trying to put all that together, I had a list of 10 ideas as a springboard for kids to start to look at and I can play around with that so it expedites some of the processes from a teacher end. chat gpt it can be a tutor it can be a feedback mechanism for kids so kids are not always in our classrooms 24 7. so if i'm at home uh spring break is right around the corner time of this recording and my my kids have a, a a paper or whatever is due not using it to do the work you can actually Have ChatGPT take on the role of a professor of an educator. And it can understand that. And then I can put in the rubric and say, I'm going to put in my essay. Can you give me feedback based on the rubric? And it will give you feedback. It will let you know where you scored in the grammar. It will let you know if your thesis statement is not as strong. Now, does that mean you have to listen to all of it? No. But it gives me a, t- a tutor, someone I can bounce ideas off with. I know it's not a person, and we're p- putting this kind of like human side to this, but the data helps us rethink our work and works through that. It doesn't have to just necessarily be a rubric that way. I could just be be working on it and, and just, I do it all the time. It, maybe it sounds a little lonely, but I'm not always in a room with all my colleagues. And I can't always, yes, we're on Zoom all the time and Zoom fatigue or whatever, but there's times that I just need feedback. I'm gonna send out an email can you check my grammar? Can you check how do I make this a little bit more concise? And it just it gives you feedback. It's not doing the work. There are those types of things that I think with teachers and also teaching our students how to be proactive in these things, we can start to, you know, have some quality work. Again, you got to check the work, make sure things are valid, all those things, those those cabinet, those skills that we're always been teaching since the beginning of time, whether we were trying to copy of a world book encyclopedia that sat in the library or the internet or now AI there's those skills don't go away but it's helping them learn how to, to harness this information um, you know the another quick example would be we're doing a, a project right now telling the story of a 100 year old French resistant World War II fighter and he gave us a document that he wrote and really really difficult um, it's kind of mixed between English and French and Um, just a whole lot of things it was not ideal for uh, 11 to 12 year olds to read it was hard so I threw it into the machine and I had it rewrite it in first person narrative at different lexile levels and it does it so now I've got a lexile level for different types of kids reading levels of our students but the beauty of it is that was our starting point to kind of understand his story to then be able to go back to this primary resource that he gave us to make sense of the real details that he shared but it was a, a launch to build some confidence, to build some base understanding, for some foundation research, that we could eventually go back to this heavier document that was provided that we wanted kids to be able to understand. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're, it's like a springboard or a launch pad into doing deeper work that if we were just to give that document to a lot of the kids, they would have shut down. And now we've got frustration issues, and it wouldn't have been fair to anybody. And we're, there's different ways I think that we can start to think about how we scaffold, how we process, some different tools like that. That they're not doesn't take a whole lot of time. You don't have to be an AI expert, um, but man, it can it, it can help you become more effective as a learner, you know, and as a as a as a professional.
0: I love the idea of using it for feedback. Um... I remember writing comments on papers, and one, I don't know how many got read, and two, I'm not sure how coherent they were to the students. Like I knew what I meant by my comment, but I don't know if they could interpret because I was grading, you know, so many of them so quickly and trying to get that very short comment in. And so this, given the earlier statements about it being conversational and it being able to provide that feedback in that way, I think uh, students and learners in general I know I'd engage it more if it were more of a conversation kind of feedback than just red marks on a paper kind of thing and I've also heard the Luxile thing from another teacher in the state was saying they were doing that so that's uh, it's spreading so we've got these pockets of people who are really leaning into it and finding those um, ways to use it and and create that kind of learning and it clearing the space then to do what you love which is authentic learning you could do some of this and then get into some of that authentic learning because you don't have to spend so much time doing all of that other stuff.
2: Yeah, allows us to bring in the human element more, actually, I mean, in a kind of ironic way. Um, if we can get through some maybe the, the tedious type routine task, um, the comments and feedback are great, but there's nothing better than that human personalization that yeah. comes from getting feedback, you know, from your instructor, or from a colleague, or whatever your role or situation might be create space for more of that you know we can kind of get through the nuts and bolts of some of the stuff and you know how, how we start to build and start getting some of that human relationship piece which we know is is so vital for for everybody right now not just in the classroom but all over i mean we we we, we see that we know that we feel that we see it in the headlines and so this can help Actually, it seems like it goes against the grain, but I, I do believe there, there, there's a lever there that can allow for more of the interaction relationships to build, um, you know, by kind of decluttering some of that lower level stuff that does take a huge chunk of our day, whether we're working, you know, the three of us as professionals in the work that we do, or we're in a room with classroom with kids or whatever it might be, um, you know, we can expedite some of that.
0: Aaron, I've heard a while back, and this is something that I heard quite a while back about the age of AI is also the age of humanism, meaning just what you said, we could really focus on uh, the humanity uh, and not have to worry about some of this. And the example they used was um, people in assisted living and retirement homes. Imagine if AI could take care of just sort of the nitty gritty of the daily living and routines that need to happen. And then all the people who work there could focus on the human side of providing those people with the um, highest level of experience and interactions and things and didn't have to worry about and I thought that was amazing. So, I mean, I know that's the other end. We t- work with small children, but just across the spectrum of like where AI has the potential to allow us to really f- become, you know, even more free as humans to do just amazing stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely. was
1: So the, um, I, know, I noticed where we are with time and everything. And so I just, maybe like the final idea here, that I would just kinda wanna prompt is, Chat GPT is obviously getting the most attention, but if I'm a teacher in a classroom and right now I'm I'm really trying to figure out and uh, navigate that landscape of utilizing that kind of tool in my classroom, are there other AI tools out there that are currently being utilized or that I need to be aware of or maybe I wanna dabble
2: into it a little bit more? I would say the answer is yes, and I think the, the first part with anything we do in life is, is what is it, what's our objective, what is it that we need, what is the, the problem or the issue at hand, and there is a tool. Um, you know, one of the best places to go, it could be a little overwhelming at first, and I'll send you guys the link, but there's a link that's futurepedia.io, which is a curation of every AI tool, and it updates every single day. There are tools coming out all the time. One well, of the ones that are right now is at the time of this recording again is called Chat PDF, which allows you then to make sense of PDF documents. Now we're getting academic research and things of that nature. There are tools like Notably, which allow you to take your academic research to high levels in two ways, whether you're kind of that left brain, right brain, and I know there's lots of stuff with that, but if you're like a very linear analytical stuff, it it'll sort it that way. If you're kind of more a mind map, creative flow, it but you are the one doing the work and it pulls and the AI kinda of helps you work through the navigation to make sense of that stuff versus having maybe a stack of a hundred note cards of the days of your of my work and then trying to figure it all out. It's 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 there. There are some wonderful tools that are out there. There's another one that The name escapes me but you can load up two different academic research papers and it'll pull out whatever you need compare and contrast and so there's just lots of things I mean an example that uh again that I would give I mean, that not just to ramble on all the tools because we're just really those allow those are really just kind of chat tools and so to speak but um you know my my son's girlfriend in a college course right now really difficult biology i think it is or organic chemistry i don't know something that's beyond my understanding and the text is pretty dense and so we were i was showing her about it and she was able to take the the text of the of the textbook and plug it in and have it just kind of like help her synthesize and make sense of it so that she can then go do the work and i think it's those are the things we I feel like people should put their energy towards. And not so much like, oh my gosh, like they could cheat for the assignment, but how do we help them see how it could be a benefit? Um, so there's, there are, there are tools and they're coming out every day. Um, and so I'll make sure the link you guys have that for it because it's all sorted by tool and use. And it's the best way to go because as we know, these tools will come and go, some will fade away, some will rise and all that good stuff. But, uh, the engine of chat gpt isn't going to go away it's just what what gets layered on top of it you know to be utilized and so um absolutely there's there's something for everybody so
1: holy cow i guess uh i got a little bit of an education there in chat gpt i mean i've i've personally played around with it a little bit not to the extent that probably like maybe you or Aaron or some others but um it's it's definitely a. It makes you pay attention. You know, it opens your eyes and be like, the potential is here for sure. The feedback or the the thing that stuck out to me as the potential for something like this was the part that Aaron talked about in terms of the feedback, because I as an English teacher or former English teacher, um, providing feedback on writing, providing feedback on um, the the conversations that were happening around the text that we were reading. It didn't matter what it was. It was like, anytime we were having a conversation, that feedback was always there, but at the same time, when I started to blend and flip my classroom more, the, the whole purpose of that was to free me up so I can provide more one-on-one feedback. But if we can teach kids to utilize a tool like chat GPT to say, you know, I, I'm not just I'm brainstorming the prompt here, but I'm gonna put my piece of writing in there and say, um, you know, just a good enough description, or can I ask it questions to like give me some feedback about my writing? Peer review work now doesn't require necessarily another person, and that's gonna improve my writing. That's gonna improve my work that I can then take into the classroom. I don't know. I think the potential for the feedback is huge. What yeah. was your takeaway? No,
0: I totally agree. And I hadn't even, that was one, that was a new one for me that he brought up, but I, I was like, wow, I, I kind of want to go try it out now on that one. So I totally agree on that one. Yeah, there was a lot to take in there um, and a lot of information, but it's some, such, such, so many good ideas. I was really fascinated when he was talking about um, like how it can make things more accessible to learners mm-hmm. in general. Um, you know, that idea of being able to create different Lexile levels for different readers. Um, but that makes the content still available to them and how powerful that can be. Um, because reading isn't going to be a barrier to them on learning the content. And that's so important when we think about um, content area expertise and reading in the content area. So that was that was really exciting. And also on the other end, um, writing and just thinking about like how it makes writing more accessible to students in the sense of, And I'm just talking even from my own personal experience how sometimes getting those first few sentences or those first few words on paper are so hard to do. Um, But then once I have those down, I can start the refining. So just getting those, you know, low hanging fruit, I think he called, where you're just sort of getting the bare bones out there. And then being able to really come in and add all those literary elements and change things so that it becomes your work and how that, you know, it's still your writing. It's just you're not starting from scratch, and I thought that was really cool. As I thought, what...
1: um, uh, you know, like it may. I can. St- I can literally still see the students in my mind that, um, when providing a, ri- a writing prompt or something, and you're kind of walking around the room and you're helping students out, and you kind of come back to that one student that was struggling a little bit, and there's still like barely anything there, and you're just like, oh, what could? It- I mean, if there was. I can't necessarily help you one-on-one for the full 15, 20 minutes remaining in class. I got to be able to check on other students. But if they had something in that moment, we could have gotten past that hurdle so much more quickly.
0: Well, and think about even people who are just geniuses in things that are more mechanical or things. And then because they're not strong writers... You know, maybe don't have the opportunity to go down different pathways, career pathways, education pathways. And now there's this amazing tool that can help them take what they know and communicate that out. Um, So I think that's that's fascinating. Like, just think about how many more opportunities there are for invention and new things, because those people now, everybody can have access to this ability to write by getting started. They still have to do the work. And I think Mm -hmm. that's important to note. Now that they get out of doing the work, it's just they have a starting place, or we have a starting place in general, so that we can go and spend our time on the expertise and the content.
1: Absolutely, and and speaking of which, like we need to, I think it's worth saying, like we're lucky enough to have someone on our team at AE Learning Online, Marv, who is just an absolute. I I don't even know how to describe, but like. He is so vested, has so much experience in computer science and in uh, um, coding. And he's really been diving into a lot of this AI stuff as well. And the potential, I'm just thinking for us as an online learning system is, you know, the feedback part, the efficiency part, all of that. Do we have something there that we could tap into for us as a team that designs and assesses online curriculum you know what I mean
0: absolutely what kind of potential do we have for building those types of systems within the things that we offer to districts and teachers and students ultimately it's right there in front of us and it's like it it's like you can almost feel it it's just right there and it's exciting times and I think um, I think that was and that was my other big takeaway with Aaron was this idea of how do we now live in this new sort of new ecosystem this new world How do we support learners in that? Because it's not going away. It's here. And so um, I think with all the possibilities and the uses that we have, it's also now how do we adjust? Just like how do we adjust when, you know, remember, what, 15, 12 years ago when nobody, you know, we were all figuring out Google Drive. I mean. Oh, yeah. You know, and (laughs) I mean. It was like, oh, I can't find that document you shared with me because it was on a different (laughs) Google account that was shared. And I wasn't keeping track of the five Google accounts I created or the sixth one I just created trying to get to the other. Yeah, that seemed like unimaginable. And now like I I couldn't live without my Google Drive and my Google account. So and we've learned to make it not just bearable, but we've really been able to leverage that into a whole new way of teaching and learning. And I think with this, it's the same thing. There's going to be a rate of change that's happening the only difference i would say is that rate of change is happening faster but how do we do that sort of same thing how do we take this new world and and learn how to use it and support our learners in it so that we can actually even do more uh and learn more
1: yep i agree well thanks deb for being the special co-host with me
0: anytime
1: i hope you guys enjoy your road trip and hopefully you could join me again sometime I wanna thank everybody for joining us today. If you wanna reach out to us at any of our social media platforms, you can definitely get in touch with us there if you wanna leave a comment or a question, or if you wanna access any of the resources that were mentioned in today's episode, you can do that at the URL down below. That does it for this episode of The Level Up Learning Show. We'll see you next time.